0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Pensions Experts fortnightly podcast on the show this week. It would, of course, be preferable if we had no crises at all. But since we do, uh, the old adage about never letting crises go to waste remains operative. Many crises, of course, are in fact the result of the uses to which previous crises have been put. But hopefully the same will not be true of the coronavirus pandemic, which has spurred a wave of interest in sustainable investing. Uh, We'll ask whether and why windmills, solar panels and the rest are more popular after a global health scare than they were before and how this interest is likely to translate into action. Uh, Next up. There are many economic theories as to how it is the world can have more money than ever before, yet whole generations still apparently have too little of it. Research by the International Longevity Centre and Standard Life suggests around a third of Gen X's have inadequate pension savings. Uh, The old cliche is that if people bought one less coffee every day, they'd be millionaires next week. But on the safe assumption, this is nonsense on stilts. We'll ask what can be done to improve things. Then absolutely no link between financial improvement and our final topic, save perhaps a negative one. If my own cratering portfolio is any guide, cryptocurrencies are no way to go about improving people's financial security. Yet research from core data suggests almost half of millennials want their pension savings, at least part of them, invested in crypto. Perhaps that's why we can't have nice things, but uh, we shall see. I'm Benjamin Mercer. I'm a reporter at Pensions Experts, and I'm joined today by Chris Hulat, co-founder of Octopus Group, and by Georgia Stewart, CEO of Tumelo. Thank you both very much for joining me. We'll uh, begin with this uh, new wave of interest in sustainable investing, then, in light of the coronavirus crisis. uh, Schroeder's Institutional Investor Study found 70% of official institutions, including national pension plans, were much more likely to cite coronavirus as making sustainable investment significantly more important, as well as 57% of insurance institutions and 49% of corporate pension plans. Challenges remain, however, more than half of respondents cited fears about greenwashing and the lack of transparency around data and, and data, sorry, around sustainable investing. George, do you want to kick us off with this one? Okay. For the layman, how is it that a global pandemic, such as we just had, can crystallise the, the importance of sustainable investing? Is it, is it all about building back? Is it?
1: I think that has something to do with it. Initially, obviously, at the beginning of the pandemic, sustainable funds did really well from a returns perspective. And I think that may also be a factor because obviously performance is super important to the trustees uh, and others that are making decisions on behalf of underlying pension members in those pension funds. But I do think that the Build Back Better remit has played a large part as well. And just the fact that and coronavirus during the crisis, people's values and what really mattered to them, came to the surface in all walks of life, not just in the pension circle, but people started thinking more about how organizations treat their employees and, and health. And obviously climate change still remained at the forefront of people's minds, especially with the progress that we were able to make during all kind of show that could be made during COVID on climate change issues. And I think that has inspired a lot of people in the pensions industry to take that issue more seriously and to act on it faster than they thought they could. And I guess that speed thing is important because everything was always going to go this way. COVID has just sped everything up, and it's forced people to make decisions on these things faster than they would have before, and decisions on everything faster than they would have before. And that's been beneficial for sustainable investing.
0: Chris, do you, do you want to come in on this? Obviously, if the coronavirus crisis we're currently in is, is causing this acceleration, is the acceleration dependent on the crisis at present? I mean, is there a risk that, you know, once we get over all this, we'll all be so, you know, we'll enjoy being at the pub so much that everything will slow down again afterwards? Or do you think this is going to be a permanent rate of increase?
2: Well, I'm sure people are really looking forward to some normality and getting back to the pub and, and all those kind of things. But to me, actually, this rise in interest and sustainability is something which we had been seeing happening for a few years now before coronavirus hit. There was absolutely no doubt, George is totally right, coronavirus has exacerbated this the trend has been enhanced. People's interest in responsible investing sustainability has just been taken to another level. Five years ago, we would struggled to get a pension fund to want to talk to us about investing in renewables. We started building our renewables investing capability a decade ago. And it's been in the last two or three years that we've really seen pension funds taking interest in this sector. It's great to see people are starting to allocate capital in much greater volumes. Uh, we were really thrilled a few months ago that Nest appointed us to build a renewables portfolio for them. And the significance of that is now 9 million UK people saving their auto-enrollment pensions through NEST are going to get a little bit of that money invested into renewables. And I think people really care about that. NEST are determined to tell that story about investing to tackle climate change to their members. And and I hope that engagement will really rise. I think it's going to be really significant. Government targets are important too. Um, We talk quite a lot to pension funds in places like Japan and Korea. And I've seen a really big change in the last six months following their own governments adopting net zero targets so government action can help bottom up people's own desire to see their money play a greater role in society i think is important and sectors like renewables have become bigger they are more investable than they would have been three five ten years ago i think that's important definitely and on the
0: subject of um, engagement there was a study fairly recently i think it was in june by legal in general um, which showed a majority of... I can't remember the exact percentage. It was a majority of members said that they, they didn't really understand the, the importance of net zero. And I think about a quarter said that they'd never even heard of net zero, for instance. This was a survey of defined contribution uh, scheme members. But the Schroeder's the, the Institutional Investor Study also showed that asset managers were sort of taking the initiative themselves. Their own desire to see a better world after the crisis was, in fact, more important to them than member concerns were. Georgia... How, to what extent is member engagement and bringing members along essential to continuing the, this move towards sustainable investing? If investors are doing it off their own back anyway, I mean, do they need to bring members along? And if they do, what can they do to sort of improve the gap that perhaps exists between their own drive and members' understanding of it?
1: I think member engagement is absolutely critical to taking this all of the way. Um, what Chris said is important, that bottom-up approach. And also the government regulation that's coming in and the work that Guy Opperman is doing here in the UK that's also driven by what he understands the pension members to want. So that's really, really important. They're not really separate things, although they are coming from different angles. I think that we see when people come through our platform, which, which helps people see what companies are in their pension and which helps people to have a voice on the issues that those companies are facing, normally the environmental and social issues those companies are facing. We find that over half the people coming on don't know that their pension's even invested in companies. Like This is a new thing for them to learn that they have got yeah. <laughs> A slice of Amazon in their pension pot or Facebook or Tesla or, or BP, whatever the company is. And that is such a huge educational hurdle for people to get over. And you know, I think maybe this also links to the cryptocurrency thing we're going to talk about later. People want crypto because it's something that they feel like they understand, what they feel like is everyday, whereas pensions are so abstract. And I think unless we can bring pensions into the real world and help people understand the impact their pension is having right now on the real economy as opposed to their future in 50 years' time, then we're going to to struggle to, to drive demand much further. And, and people need to understand where their pensions are invested and what that means to understand why sustainability is important to their financial outcome, because otherwise it's super hard to link those two concepts.
2: I think it's also a question of jargon. So I'm not surprised that most people don't know what net zero really means. But if you actually said to the, the average 30 year old, do you think part of your pension should be deployed to help tackle climate change? They would know what you meant. They they see in the media record temperatures around the world, forest fires, all these sort of pointers of damage to the world. And I think most people would accept, would want some of their money to help to tackle that. But if we just talk to them in jargon, politicians do all the time. Our industry bad at it. But if you talk to people in a language they can understand and they can relate to, then I think they'll be much keener to, to want their money to help play a part in tackling these kind of societal issues.
1: And, and that's a problem with ESG as well, that, that acronym, environmental social governance investing, as opposed to just net zero. And we see the same thing. If you ask people, do you care about ESG? They'll say no. And that's why often if we talk to trustees, you know, they'll say, oh, people in my scheme don't care too much about ESG. I've only had two emails. But then if you email out to a whole scheme and you say, hey, do you care about this animal welfare issue at Pfizer or whatever the question might be, you'll have reams of people say, well, yes, that's absolutely a priority for me. Or actually, no. You know, I think my performance is more important or something else but you need to pick the individual issue that resonates with someone to get them to engage and that's climate change is a perfect example of that or plastic pollution people on our platform are super interested in in plastic pollution and and how the companies they're invested in might be contributing to that challenge
0: and just finally on this topic if i may obviously this is a lot about making sure that members are brought on board and you know making sure that members understand what the issues are and as you say one of the ways of doing that is, is to get rid of jargon um and to increase sort of clarity of engagement but some investors also in fact, a large number of investors in the in the Schroder study report having some trouble themselves with this think 80 percent of them said that they found sustainable investing either somewhat or very uh, challenging 59 percent said that, that there were fears about greenwashing there's a lack of transparency and data as we've mentioned at the top and 46 percent I think it was what did 46 percent say they said difficult there's difficulty measuring and managing risk as well with ESG investments. Chris did you want to round us off on on this how do we make progress on something like ESG from the investor's point of view when there is still some of the really the core stuff, like how you measure it, is still uncertain and unknown?
2: It's definitely a real problem, isn't it? And there are too many different ways of looking at this, too many different ways of thinking about ESG or impact. I read recently something like 130 consultancies sprung up in London offering ESG and impact measurement. People are taking different approaches. That doesn't help. But I think actually when you look at some sectors like renewables, A decade ago, I'd have totally agreed that people don't really understand it. Now they absolutely do. Uh, When we built our first solar farm in 2011, we didn't know what we were doing. No one else in the industry did. The service sectors didn't. Now, if you want to do due diligence on investing in, say, a solar farm, that is a well-understood, well-characterised asset class that people are familiar with. And we've seen billions of dollars flowing into the sector. There will be billions trillions uh, in the years ahead. So I think that kind of issue has um, in in mainstream sectors is rapidly becoming something of the past. I think people are gaining confidence in their ability to invest in these areas uh, and understand them. And I I think that's important. We're gonna need to see not just lots of money flowing into areas like renewable energy, but it's the next frontiers. As a country, we barely started tackling emissions from transport or from buildings, from housing. And so there's gonna be enormous opportunities for investors in the, the years ahead to play their part in tackling that and so how we measure this how we prove that change has been achieved and how we bring members and, and the public and trustees with us on that journey is going to be so critical
0: right in which case we'll move on from that to our next subject which is uh, everybody having too little money which is you know, a problem for everyone as mentioned uh, there's a study by the uh, international longevity center and standard life and they found that uh, Almost one in three Gen Xs, that's a really irritating term for people aged age between 41 and 56, have inadequate pension savings. They face a minimum at best standard of living in retirement. Uh, 60% of those in DC schemes are not saving enough. 17% don't even know how much they're contributing. And 59% of those with insufficient savings have no alternative income to rely on in retirement. It's not Gen Xers who are struggling, though. There was research from LCP that showed a stark choice facing younger DC savers. An individual enrolling in a DC scheme today would have to contribute 12% to make back the same as a person contributing 8% a decade ago. Uh, beside higher contribution rates, they can either take on more risk, for example, by moving to a 100% equity strategy, or else they must work 10 years longer and retire it. 78. And I think I'm in this age bracket. And that is depressing me already. But uh, this is required just to stand still versus the earnings of uh, savers starting a decade earlier, as mentioned. Georgia, I will begin with you on this one. We talked a bit about engagement on the the previous topic. And I imagine engagement is quite an important one for part of the answer, at least for this. How do you go about tackling this problem of inadequate savings? It's an old problem, or at least it's as old as DC. But how do we fix it?
1: Yeah, so it's a huge problem. And it certainly makes up half of our mission at Tomello. If sustainable investing is one half, then solving the savings gap is another. And I think in the UK, the figure is that the retirement gap will be 350 billion by 2050. And in the US, it's like 137 trillion. So it's a massive problem with people not saving enough to avoid poverty in retirement. I absolutely think that engagement is part of it. Before that, education probably would have been great, you know, if we were educated at school and if people now were educated at school about how important their pension was for their entire life um, and that that education was continuous. At the moment, it's kind of fallen on workplaces to do some of that work, which I think is probably not quite right. It's definitely a good fallback solution for the situation we're in now, but looking forward, it would be good to build that into education system. Once you've got people in the workplace who are not engaged with their pension, engagement is really important we at Smello help people engage by showing them where their money's going. So trying to break down the abstract kind of intangible concept of a pension and saying, hey, did you know you've got uh, investment in Tesla and there's a human rights issue? Do you want to engage with that? And we make it really specific and we ask people questions and we ask them to participate in kind of non-monetary related questions, but stewardship effectively, which is an important part of investment decision making process. So I guess we kind of take it from a side angle, but I I think any way to engage someone with their pension is hopefully going to help them to contribute more or at least contribute the right amount. So that's not right for everybody, but for people who can afford to add more to their pension on a monthly basis, having those people engaged and feeling like their pension is being invested in alignment with the things they care about is going to help them to get up to that 12% or beyond contribution, whereas most people are sitting at about eight, if that's.
0: Chris, do you have a view on this? Um, obviously, getting members interested is is a key one, as Georgia has said. I mean, are, is that the thing to do? Is that the principle or even the only thing you can do to, to improve this problem? Or are there other things? I mean, I know people have mentioned like tax rate changes or more targeted action by say, trustees looking at particular struggling groups. I mean, where do you stand on this issue?
2: Yeah, it's no doubt this is a massive problem, isn't it? And as someone who is in that Gen X category uh, myself now, I, I see it with with my friends. I think many people don't realise the kind of position they're in. And I think part of the problem with that is we see our parents' generation who were of an era when they had great DB pension schemes, they could retire with pots of money that kept them having a decent lifestyle. And I think my era doesn't quite appreciate the problems we are creating for ourselves by not understanding the position we're in. So I think recognising where you are going to get to with your pension is a problem. People don't have that knowledge or awareness. We need to tackle that. We need to educate people better. Uh, and I think people don't seek financial advice. A very small fraction of UK people get proper financial advice. And that's a real challenge. One of the things we're trying to do at Octopus is find a way to help deal with that. We've created something called Money Coach that's designed to, to give a much broader base of people access to the information and help they may need. I think we also need to make sure people are investing in the right way. Is their money genuinely being deployed in growth assets or have they been scared out of the market? Are they holding way too much cash? Um, are they investing a big enough percentage? I think information uh, is the key to this. Showing people the situation they're in and offering them some clear ideas about how to do something about it. And until we get that right, I think this is just going to get a worse and worse problem.
0: To be sure. Separately, I mean, it, it's it's a bit of a tangential link, but there's I think at the moment the government is consulting into a stronger nudge, giving giving uh, members a stronger nudge to guidance when it comes to DB scheme transfers. Having you know, based on what you both said about this importance of member engagement, is this the kind of thing that will be nudged by the government in the end to fix it, to take nudging people to take advice in any pensions related context? Or is it something that actually can be solved, will eventually be solved because there is a need for it by the private sector, by people who are creating tools to boost member engagement, um, which the government is either too slow or too pressed for time to create itself? Uh, George, do you want to come in on this first?
1: I think it's definitely a combination. The government, I think, have been quite forthright in their feelings about uh, or their thoughts about what should happen but that's also I think come partly from the private sector you know lobbying the government saying we need to put these regulations in place or we need to change policy so I think it's a bit of push and pull I definitely believe that technology is going to massively change how people interact with their pensions if you think about open banking or you're using your Monzo or Starling app and how easy it is to interact with your everyday personal finances pension is going to be drawn into that picture and it's really going to change the way that people interact with it. And at the moment, we're just not at that place. Like people don't know where their pensions are, though on average, they've got three pots that they had with previous employers, you know, when they were part of the gig economy or similar that are in places they can't even recognize. They can't tell you who their provider is. And I think that's all down to just a lack of interaction with your pension. Now, if you look at new pension products um, and often financial advice comes into that, robo advice and that type of thing, you can have an app on your phone and you can interact with it just like you do your everyday banking. And further we go with that, the more those two things are brought together, I think will help people. Form a better picture and interact with their pension more. But the education needs to come alongside that because you can't treat your pension the same way you do your savings account. It it's more important, it needs to be more long-term. And to help people understand the difference between short-term and long-term and, and why, you know, why those differences are important is, is also critical. And that's you know what Chris said about people being in the right growth assets. People are really scared about making financial decisions. And we see that on the platform all the time. You know, even if we ask someone, What do you think that Shell should do about this climate change issue? People are slightly fearful that if they press in favour or against, it might affect their financial return, and they just don't understand how the system works. And I think education is going to help with that. That's going to take time.
0: Absolutely. And of course, we've got dashboards coming in as well, having me say, I mean, I was actually trying to explain this to a non-pensions friend the other day, trying to explain what dashboards are. I said, well, someone somewhere thought it'd be a really good idea if you could go online and see how much is in your pension and where it is. And they said, you mean you can't do that already? which actually, to be fair, coming into this shop was my reaction as well. But um, if we move on then to uh, today's final uh, topic, obviously, if you had your savings invested in Bitcoin a decade ago, you could afford to retire into a mansion probably made of money. Uh, it seems cryptocurrencies in general continue to benefit from uh, Mark Twain's old rule about reputations and early rises. It is, though, an iron rule of the internet that anything that, normie, that normies sorry, can ruin everything, anything normies flooding in, flood into and become interested in, usually tanks in the end. Uh, core data suggests uh, that actually this is, cryptocurrencies are no exception. It surveyed 400 retail investors, found 40% of millennial respondents would add crypto to their pension portfolios if given a chance. But a lot of industry experts have branded this deeply concerning. They say crypto is not a viable long-term investment. And uh, I have to say, having dabbled in this myself, I completely agree. But um, maybe we have a different view on the air. Uh, Chris, do you want to round us up with uh, cryptos? What's your take on these?
2: Yeah, actually, not, not a different view. I think this is really, really scary. Uh, and I can understand it. I mean, people love to hear stories about things they've read in the press, about people who've made a load of money. As you just said, Benjamin, people who got into crypto really early and bought Bitcoin and have ridden that wave. But to me, crypto is not an asset class. I mentioned earlier about growth assets and people should be holding their pensions. And I just don't think crypto is one of those. It's perfect. If you want to trade Bitcoin, if you're an experienced trader, you have the time and the knowledge and the the kind of skills and the instincts, and you can trade it, you can keep an eye on it, then fine. But Buying Bitcoin and tucking it away into your pension and holding it for 20 years is just something I I, I certainly would uh, shy a long way away from doing. Now maybe we'll look back at this recording in 20 years' time and say so I was totally wrong on that. But but uh, I just think people should stick to proper mainstream asset classes. If you're young and you think about your pension, invest in equities. Invest in some of the alternatives, the mainstream alternatives. You know things like renewables is designed to be a 30-year investment, long-term holdings of equities. Those things have a pretty good chance of delivering you the kind of pension you want. Putting a load of your pension into crypto, or I think gold and some of the other things mentioned in the article, cannabis, you know, rare earths, that to me isn't really an investment strategy. That is punting. uh, And that shouldn't be something people are looking to do with their pension pot. In about
0: 30 years, we might be having to pay to listen to this podcast with Dogecoin. But um, on the subject of uh, Dogecoin, I mean, that's another issue, isn't it? I suppose it is the volatility in the market. I mean, George, I mean, If Elon Musk's Twitter account, for instance, can can have such a a large impact on the value of your portfolio, is it a portfolio worth having, do you think?
1: I think... Well, crypto is obviously showing that it's viable as a currency, well, at least in the short term. The question of whether it's a good investment, though, remains. And I mean, as Chris said, it, it's not a secure store of value. It may provide some hedging risk, but, you know, only for monetary inflation, not for other raw materials, for example. And it is not really a, a expected source of capital growth. And, and, you know, there's quite a lot of speculative bitcoin investors for example at the moment and if they all leave the market what happens to the to the growth trajectory then i mean i'm not surprised that people say that because people want to be able to relate to something they currently don't understand and crypto is at front of mind it's interesting it's cool and pensions are the complete opposite they are boring and they're back of mind and they're not cool or interesting and I think if we can invest in things like you know what what Chris is talking about renewable projects that people can drive past on their way to Scotland or then people can engage and then they can feel like they understand what their pension is invested in they can feel like it's cool like it's interesting like it's contributing and they've done that quite well in Australia where they kind of talk about investing in renewable funds and I think you can even like go online and see the videos of where your money's invested and that's the type of thing I think people want I don't think it needs to be crypto to to get people interested And there is obviously some investment in crypto and pension funds already happening because they're investing in VC funds who are invested in blockchain. So maybe we're going to see more investment in in crypto through kind of investment in private markets uh, with pensions. But I think I'm with Chris on on the fact that that's quite scary that people are asking for that. But I think it's driven by that lack of education and lack of engagement at the moment.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting point, though, as you say, I mean, there are the cryptos, there's the coins, but there is also the architecture behind crypto, isn't there, which is a slightly more stable investment. Millennials, of course, are always one to blame boomers for everything they do wrong. But actually, the generational gap of this one is an interesting one. Only 7% of boomers said they would add cryptos to their portfolio, given the chance, which maybe explains why they have much more money than millennials do. It's just better financial decisions. But anyway, that brings us to the close of the principal part of the program. But from the exciting subject of incredibly volatile uh, crypto, I believe, Chris, you're rounding us off with the always a pension's angle this week. Do you want to take it away?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Benjamin. Well, you know, in life, we all spend a lot of time wanting to be like. We all want to think that what we do is really exciting, really fascinating. And some of what we do is, you know, our venture capital team is helping entrepreneurs build really cool businesses. It's really exciting stuff. But, A few months ago, we had our quarterly uh, review meeting with one of the big investors in our care home fund that owns the bricks and mortar for the loads of care homes around the country. And this product is really designed to churn out a very reliable, very stable kind of return. So at the end of the update meeting, our client said to us, what I really like about you guys is that you are reassuringly dull. And, you know, it's not every day you get told that as a compliment. uh, And it's something we were quite pleased about. But um, you know, shows that we don't have to just focus on really racy things in life. We shouldn't all be looking to be, you know, crypto billionaires. There is a role in life for things that's a bit more stable.
0: Absolutely. Well, prove positive that what is uh, in the public interest is not always interesting to the public. So maybe, maybe it is, as you say, a reassuring sign. If you called dull in a pensions context, then uh, take it as a compliment. I suppose exactly. our listeners will be very happy to hear that. But, um, Excellent. Well, that brings us to the end of the program. Thank you very, uh, very much to uh, Georgia and to Chris for joining us. As ever, we will be back in two weeks' time, and we hope to see you then.
1: A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times.